And the beautiful thing about him being both is that we can look at the strategic and we can kind of anticipate what God's doing because he gives us his spirit to kind of direct us and guide us. And then in the moment of the strategic, he shows up in the spontaneous and the sporadic and he knocks us out (laughs) on the floor. He gives us an encouraging word. He gives us a message that only he would know we needed an answer to. Isn't that good? Amen. Oh, man. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your presence this morning. Father, I thank you that you have given us your presence for eternity. I thank you, Father, that you've been dwelling, moving strategically, spontaneously, disrupting my life from the very beginning and the lives of your children this morning. Father, I just, I just ask that you continue to press in on us and usher us in to receive your presence, Father, to receive your healing, to receive your anointing and liberty, Father, from the lies of the enemy this morning. Let every heart leave this place, Father, with a refreshing reminder of your precious love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It has been a while since I've been up here, and um, I, I, as I began to prepare for, um, for this, this morning, you know, I thought very typically the Lord would just ask me to tell you about my time in the hospital and my time with him in the hospital, and, and I thought, well, that's boring, <laughs> and he says, it's not, it's not, so there will be parts of that that I'll share with you today. Because God did some miraculous things for me in that season, and it involved all of you, whether you realize it or not. And so sometimes it's amazing to hear how you've impacted someone's life without even realizing it. And that's what the Lord has done as I look back at my life time and time again. He has sent people, people who unknowingly walked into my life uh, on a mission from the Lord and um, without even realizing it, transformed a whole season of my life. And they may have walked out of my life, not in a bad way, but just, you know, things happen, people move, times change. And they may have walked out of my life and not even realized that I still talk about them today. Isn't that amazing? How people can have that impact, how you can have that impact. You've probably had that impact on someone's life. Come on, it could have just been a smile. It could have been a prayer. It could have been purchasing someone's groceries, you know, buying someone's breakfast in the line behind you. It could be something so small that transformed someone's world. And, um, and that's what I want to talk to you this morning about. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about... Um, the foundation of what I, talk, what I want to talk to you about this morning is uh, God's timing. And, and sometimes we think we don't know God's timing, and we just kind of meander through life, and like, when God wants it to happen, I guess it'll happen. And a lot of us kind of operate that way, and, and I, I don't know if that's wrong or right, but I feel like there's got to be, like, a way to harness that a little bit better. And... Um, as I brought that to the Lord and said, you know, I know you're going to do what you want in your time and you're not going to follow my schedule. You know, I, I, I get it. You're the only one who's not going to follow my schedule. I can convince other people to, but you won't. And that's okay. I'm a good planner. I like to think of myself as a pretty good planner. And so I take my plans to the Lord and the Lord says, good plan, but I'm going to change this and we're going to do it my way. And I'm like, I had to learn over the years that that was a better plan. Because early on, I was like, no, 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 no. You don't know better than me. And the Lord definitely had to school me on that. Um, In order to follow God's timing, we need wisdom. We need insight. We need sometimes, in order to know exactly what to do, we feel like we need to know every outcome, every possible outcome. We need to know what's at stake 
If I choose this, what happens? If I go this way, what happens? Who gets hurt if I do this? And who doesn't get hurt if I do this? There's a lot of questions that come into play. Um, sometimes it's decisions in our own life, and we're just trying to live, right? We're just trying to survive. If you are someone who grew up in a household where you were living paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes even less than that, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, we're just trying to survive, man. We're just trying to make sure we get it through the day. We're just trying to make sure we get through the winter and we don't end up cold. We're just trying to make sure we get through the school season uh, and we have everything we need for, for, for our school supplies. We're just trying to make sure we get through the summer where we are used to having meals provided every day and now we have to provide them for ourselves. Come on, there are, there are times I can remember as a kid getting in trouble because I'd go home to do my homework and I didn't have a pencil. And so I'd find something to write with, and I'd do my homework, and I'd take it to school. And because it wasn't in pencil, I got a big fat F. And I just remember crying, and my teacher was mad, and she had no idea the circumstance I was in. She said, I told you to do it in pencil. It was math. Oh, no wonder I hate math. (laughs) I told you to do it in pencil. I think I did it in, like, a red pen. She's like, I write in red. You write in pencil. I'll never forget that. And I was probably, gosh, I was probably eight or nine years old. I didn't have a pencil. I can remember times where um, the, my mom had to make a decision. Was she going to buy groceries or was she going to pay the, the, the heat bill to make sure the heater stayed on? The ga- the, not the gas bill, but the, the heat, the electric. And so because she paid the electric bill and not the, because she paid the electric bill, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, because she paid the gas bill, not the electric bill, the electric heater um, in the house wasn't running to pump heat through the entire house. So that morning we got dressed in front of the gas oven. She opened the oven, turned the heat on, and we got dressed right there for school because it was cold everywhere else. <clears throat> My mom is the hardest working person I think I've ever met. She will sacrifice anything and everything to make sure other people have what they need. And she did that single-handedly for a lot of my life. Sometimes I think about the way I grew up, and I, and I had a lot of questions for God early on. I was brought up in and out of the Catholic Church. I remember going to catechism sometimes. I remember um, the King James Version <laughs> of some scriptures, and I thought those were the only ones, you know, until I got older and realized there were other translations that made a little bit more sense to me. And um, I can remember early on as a kid... Um, Younger than 10 years old, so between the ages of 6 and 10, just asking God why. That was my big question. Why? Why are we struggling? Why are my parents mad? Why am I a burden? Why is it so hard to take care of us? Why, why, why? Why do other kids have cool toys and I don't? Why, why? If you're so good, why are the things in my life so bad? And when you think about a kid, come on, a child, being that aware of their circumstance, it really breaks your heart. And, and I can remember on December 31st, 1999, hearing other people talk about in that season that the millennium was coming and the world was ending. And I can remember being a child and thinking, yes, I get to go to heaven now. Let's say goodbye to this life. How awful is that? And I can remember waking up on January 1st, 2000, and being extremely disappointed that God hadn't come to take me away. And I know there's so many of you in here who know what I'm talking about. Because the oppression of life was too much to bear that I wanted to be anywhere else. And so I can remember, like, not saying cuss words because cuss words were going to send you to hell. And I just needed to make sure I had my ticket to heaven. (laughs) But I I wasn't in church regularly. All I knew was heaven and hell, good and bad. And that's kind of where the foundation of my Christianity began. What I needed was wisdom. What I needed was insight. And the first... um, 
I'll say the first person on a mission, I don't know if she realized this or not, that stepped into my life to help me understand wisdom and the love of God was a woman by the name of Nadine Carlson. And I created this little chart on my, my book here. One side says life decisions, and the other side says the people, just so you know what, I, what, I'm, what I'm going through here. And in 2004, Miss Nadine came into my life as a teacher, and she recognized my bad attitude and my lack of joy, and she started to sow seed into my life. She asked me to join an organization called FCCLA, and... And, I, and when I think back into my life, she's the first, I'll count her as the first missionary sent to me. The very first. She was Catholic. She prayed with me. She always had a reason why things could be better. She always gave glory to God. And she became a mother figure in my life when my mom was struggling. Because my parents had just separated for good and I needed someone to guide me. And the Lord sent me Miss Carlson. Before I dig into the rest of this timeline here, because I like to look at it as a timeline because it's it, it, maybe more than a timeline, a web of people uh, who constantly like bing off of each other like a, a pinball game, you know, they just kind of keep going and going and going. Before we go there, let's go into the word. Before I get all of you crying in here, I don't do well with tears. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like crying. <laughs> Let's go into the word real quick. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to talk about wisdom for a second. And when you think about wisdom, which is what I desperately needed, when you think about wisdom in regards to the word of God, who do you think of? Solomon. Solomon went down in history as the wisest man, the wisest king of Israel. If you don't know anything about Solomon, Solomon was David's 10th son. So he wasn't exactly, you know, right in line to be king. Uh, thankfully, Nathan came in and set things straight. And David said, this is how it's going to be. He will be the next king of Israel. Solomon is also the son of Bathsheba. All of you know who she is, right? Ooh. What I love about that story is something so great can come out of something so bad. <laughs> What I, what I love about Solomon is that he went down in history as the wisest king over Israel. Um, he, he authored the book of Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, the majority of the book of Proverbs. And um, what a lot of people don't realize is that wasn't a natural gift that Solomon had. It was something he requested from God. So let's go into the word. It says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord. And the, did I write this down? Keep going. Uh, and the wall around the city. Next. At the time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local palace, places of worship for temple honoring. The name of the Lord had not yet been built. Keep going. Solomon loved the Lord, followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local place of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon, so, that, so the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. That night, the Lord, here we go. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. You have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I am like a child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart 
such as no one else has ever had or ever will. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Lord Covenant, where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And then he invited all the officials to the great banquet. Solomon wasn't born with this insurmountable wisdom. He had to ask the Father for that, and he gave it to him. And so when I realized that we could all have, like, our own things that are just you know, unique to us. We have, if any of you know me, you know I'm kind of like into understanding people. So I read a lot about the Enneagram. If you know anything about the Enneagram, I am a number one, which is known as the reformer. I like to make things better. I like to fix things. I look at something and I see its imperfections first. Gosh, and I get judged for it. But it's not to be the Debbie Downer. It's so that we can make it as, as great as, 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 as amazing as it absolutely can be. And it's not out of hatred or, or, or any ill heart. It's so that whatever we're fixing is whole, right? I, I, if, if you're walking around and you feel like, I'm serving the Lord, I am, I'm doing all the Lord's commandments, I am I am, I'm, I'm, I've got a great job. I've got a great family. If you're walking around with all of that, but I, ch I bump into you and I sense a spirit of depression on you, that behind all this greatness you're struggling, guess what? I want to touch it. <laughs> I want to point it out. I want to grab it, and I want to get rid of it. Because it's, all of that other stuff isn't worth it if you're walking around thinking that you're not worth anything. I get, I, get, uh, I, I get misperceived a lot because I'm, I have that, like, it just goes there. I just can't help it. I see the wrong thing first, the thing that doesn't belong. But I do it out of love, I promise. If that's ever happened to you, I love you, I swear. Um, <laughs> and so Solomon sought out wisdom. If, if, if the Lord appeared to any of us today and he said he will grant us anything we want, how many of you can honest, honestly say wisdom would be at the top of your list? <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> Come on, some of us are like, man, pay off all my debts. Buy me a new house. Um, find me my spouse. Heal my body. All these are good things. Don't get me wrong. These are all wonderful things to ask of the Lord. And goodness, thank you, Lord, that when Jesus died, it was enough to pay for all of that. Not just wisdom, not just healing, not just prosperity. It was enough for all of that, right? But if we only had one request, I just find it very rare that people would think to ask for wisdom. But that's, that's, that's where I ended up. Because I had a lot of why questions for the Lord from the time that I was a child. Why is it this way? Why is it so hard? Why? If you're so good, why, why, why? And really, you would think that um, because God's so good, he'd give you like a straight answer. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he invites you into a relationship with him because it's not his response. It's going to change your thoughts on life. It's encountering him. And so in my questioning with the Lord... The answer he gave me was, trust the Lord, trust me with all your heart, and don't rely on your own understanding. Trust me. Proverbs 3, 5. So I'm, I, at, at the age of 18, I was going back, uh, let's jump back into my timeline. At this point, I had been with Miss Carlson for three years. Uh, by my senior year of high school, I had started going back to Sunday night mass at my uh, local Catholic church with my best friend, neighbor Kelly. We'd go to church every Sunday night. And um, I was talking to God again. I was talking to him more. Um, but I can't say it was anything supernatural or super spiritual, just real casual conversation, kind of like a checkbox in my week. Okay, went to church. Did it. Just okay if you're just getting into the swing of things, right? Come on. Don't be, don't be judgy. It's okay. 
when I started um, talking to the Lord more, I realized that I started taking my decision-making to him more often as well. And, you know, when, when, you get into, when you get saved and you're diving into a relationship with God, it can feel overwhelming because you feel like you have to be perfect. But let me tell you, that's religion, okay? That's religion telling you to be perfect. That's not the Spirit of God because God wants you just to arrive today with all your baggage, with all your junk, with all your imperfections, and he wants to eliminate religion and show you how to live a life the way he has designed it for you. And so... <clears throat> talking to God more. It came time to start applying for colleges. Uh, I thought uh, no, one's, no one in my family's ever gone to college. I'm not going to go to college. And of course, Miss Carlson was like, ain't wrong, you're going. And I thought, I can't afford that. Like our family, oh, you, don't, you, you know, you know, come on, you know now. We can't afford this. She said, there's grants you can apply for. I'm going to show you how to do it. So I got a full paid scholarship. I also knew at the time through my communicating with the Lord that if I stayed in Lafayette, I would set myself up for failure because it was too familiar to me. I, was, uh, I started partying in eighth grade when I was living in Lafayette because life was just awful. And so I started drinking and partying at a young age. And so I knew that if I stayed in Lafayette that I was going to set myself up for failure that I was going to be immersed into the lifestyle that I was already surrounded in, and I was just going to go deeper. Because at that point, I, I wasn't like ankle deep. I was waist deep into heading towards the life that I knew I didn't want. And so I knew when I looked at colleges, I wasn't even going to apply to anything local. They were all going to be away. And so I applied to Northwestern State University, and I got a full scholarship. And I was prepared to go. I remember Miss Nadine introduced me to FCCLA, and I made a few friends while I was in FCCLA. The first friend that I made that made a big impact in my life is named Lucas Vascacue, who was from Castor, Louisiana. And Lucas, I thought, was hilarious. Lucas had a bunch of friends that were hilarious. And then I find out that they're also Christian. And I'm like, yes, I need to be around more people like this. Lucas introduced me to Stephen. Stephen and I got to go to Nashville together with a bunch of our friends. And we got to do this, like, state competition thing where we went in and, and gave our all in these competitive events. And Stephen was dressed as Fred Flintstone. <laughs> and they won. <laughs> I wish I had a picture of that, too. I probably do somewhere. Um, but during that time... Um, I met Lucas, I met Steven, I met a girl by the name of Abby, who was from Ruston, and uh, during that time, Abby came into the scene kind of late in the game, and she didn't have a lot of friends, and the people that I was already friends with were so, like, tight-knit, they didn't want to let anyone else sit at the table with us, you know, so I was friendly towards Abby. We spent a lot of time together doing leadership stuff across the state, and it was, it was a joy, because Abby was from Ruston, because Stephen and Lucas were talking about going to Louisiana Tech, I thought, well, I just want to come hang out with y'all one weekend, and so let me make a trip up there. My mom was going to come. We'll visit the university there, too. I took one step on that campus, and the Lord said, this is where you need to be. I said, Mom, <laughs> I'm not going to Northwestern. And she's like, oh. She already had her, like, NSU mom gear. You know, she was so proud. She thought we were just going up there to hang out with the guys and, you know, just be entertained for the weekend. And I said, I think I'm supposed to be here. It's my next big life decision. I changed lanes from a full-ride scholarship to NSU to, you know, some money <laughs> at Tech. Tech's real expensive. Some money to go to school at Tech. I made that decision. Felt like that was a, a godly, divine appointment, a transition. That was in 2007. In 2009, the Christian church at Menden became my official home church. And, and I had already been coming off and on for two years at that point because uh, Joel would convince all of his friends in Ruston to pile up in the car and come home on the weekend for a home-cooked meal and swimming in Ginger Swimming Pool. And so I was in that group of friends who'd ride up every weekend and just come hang out. But what changed from, 
2007 to 2009 was that I had undergone some really, really awful oppression. I was struggling financially. I was struggling academically. I was getting into the party scene again. I was doing things that I knew would not lead me to the life I wanted. I had just ended a really, really bad relationship that I didn't really want to walk away from, but I knew God had told me to walk away from it. And when he told me to do that, I wrestled with it. And the reason I count 2009 as that being the time when I counted this as home is because it was the first time I went to the altar in two years, well, really ever in my life. I don't know if you know this, Catholics don't do that. (laughs) First time in my life I go to the altar. And it seems so silly now that I would take something like, I don't want to break up with my boyfriend, you know, to the altar. But that's what I was struggling with at the time. And I go to the altar and I'm just crying and I'm not sure what to do. And I hear a voice say, sister, what's bothering you? And I tell him. And I get prayed for for the very first time in a supernatural way that changed my outlook on who God was forever. And the person that laid their hands on me was Chris Lewis. Enter the Lewises. So Chris and Jessica became really special to me. Started wanting to hang out with them more. Started wanting to know about their lives. Spend time together. And it really solidified this is my home church. Because I was used to going to the Gray's house. I was used to, you know, hanging out at the church with people who were there. But I had never taken it anywhere further than that. And so that's the year this became my home church. And it's because of them. Fast forward in 2011. A boy asked me to go on a date. A real date. I took it straight to the Lord. Oh, Lord. Do I need to do this? See, what had happened in the years that I wasn't dating, I had rededicated my life to God in a way that made me feel pure and whole again. And I didn't want anything to tarnish that. And I was under the mindset that because I was originally Catholic, that maybe I was born to be a nun. Maybe I was born to just be me and God forever. And I am totally happy with that life. Like, I I, I am happy. I was so in love with Jesus that I didn't want anything else. I didn't want to give my attention or my heart to anything else. And this boy comes along and he's like, I'm going to take you on a real date. He was real cute. He was real funny. And with big tears in his eyes, I just had to say yes. And so in 2011, Joel came crawling into my life, asking for just an ounce of my time. And we started dating. We went and ate sushi and watched Pirates of the Caribbean, and we started dating. (laughs) Joel and I get to know each other. I lay it down for him. I tell him, listen, I just got out of a season with the Lord that I don't want to disrupt So us dating means we're going to do it God's way. He said, okay, okay, okay. That's fine with me. He starts telling me about his life verse, his aspirations, what he wants out of life. And he tells me his life verse is Proverbs 3, 6. And I thought, what? My life verse is Proverbs 3, 5. And I think at that point, you know how you guys are. We get caught up on one verse and we forget to read before and after it. And we just hold on to that one piece, and we're like, yes, Lord, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your, not on your own understanding. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And we forget to read, like, what is after that? Whoop, losing shoes. We forget to read what's after that. And so I, don't, I, I can't say this was the first time I had read what was after it, but it was the first time it stuck. And Joel said, well, that, my life verse is verse 6. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll direct your path. And I thought, man, that makes my part so much more powerful. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Here it is. I'm like, okay. So I feel like the first, you know, part of my testimony that I've shared with you was all about trusting God. And then the second part was like, okay, I need wisdom. I knew this. I already knew this. So I'm just going to acknowledge you in all my ways, God, and you're going to take care of it. 
The problem with the English language is that we simplify everything. The problem with Western culture, come on, everything over here in the U.S., we try to make things really fast and, and just let's just get it done, let's get it over with and move on. And, and we've unfortunately done that with our, our language as well. The English language simplifies things in a way that sometimes doesn't give us the full interpretation of what we're looking at. And so I, over the years, I've meditated on, the, on these verses and the word acknowledge stuck out to me. And so I've looked it up in other translations, and in the NLT, the word acknowledge says seek. Seek his will in all you do. In the King James Version, New King James Version, it says acknowledge. In the Amplified Version, it says know and acknowledge him in all your ways. In the NIV, it says submit to him in all your ways. And if you don't know this, the different translations are derived from the original Hebrew text of the Word of God. In the Hebrew text, the words are really um, broad. The, 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 def the definition of them is much broader than it is in English. And so I thought, let's look that up. What does the word acknowledge mean in the Hebrew? And when you look at the word acknowledge in Hebrew, it means to know. Learn to know, to perceive, to perceive and find out, to discern, to discriminate, distinguish, to know by experience, to recognize or admit, to acknowledge, to make oneself known, to be instructed. Whew. Come on, here I was thinking acknowledge is like Mookie hits a home run and he goes, acknowledge you, God, it's all you, right? You think of acknowledge, you, 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 if you're walking around in a store you see your friend, you're like, oh, hey, don't have time to talk. Hey, I acknowledged you, though. Acknowledge is more than that. It's more than just a, hey, credit. It's not, acknowledge doesn't mean to give credit to. Acknowledge means way more than that. Acknowledge means I'm taking time to have a dialogue with the Lord in this context to distinguish and discern, to share my experience so that I can recognize and be aware of myself and, and how to be instructed. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Spend time with him. Now, now, that doesn't mean every decision you make, you have to go into your prayer closet and stay there until you know exactly what to do, and then you can come out. Come on, it just means continuously talk to the Lord about what you're doing in every aspect of your life, in your health, in, in, in your finances, in your relationships, which road to take to get to work, Come on, I have found out before that because I felt the Lord tell me to go this way, not that way, there was a wreck down that road, and I would have been late for 30 minutes for an important meeting. I'm like, thank you, Lord. The Lord says, go down this, this lane, not that lane at Walmart. Hey, first, first parking spot. Yes. Had I gone down the other lane first, somebody else would have taken it. Come on, it's in everything. The simple things and the major things. Let's jump back into my timeline. Joel and I are dating that's 2011. 2014. Between 2011 and 2014, I uh, moved to Minden, and no one would hire me. I was either um, underqualified or I'd, I didn't have enough experience or I was a college graduate and they couldn't pay me enough. So what did I do? I started serving at the food pantry. Remember, Jessica's my friend, so she said, you can come help me. And so I started serving at the food pantry. God decision, right? Because I could have just left Minden. They're like, ah, I can't find a job here. I'm going to live somewhere else. God decision. God said stay in Minden. So I stayed in Minden. While I was volunteering at the food pantry, Jessica came in contact with a guy by the name of Andy. And Andy said, Jessica, do you know anyone who would be willing to take on a job at United Way? She said, I know exactly someone who needs that job. Well, come to find out, Andy had went to tech. The same time I went to Tech, Andy played intramural sports with Joel while they were at Tech. I'm like, okay, so I go and I, I take this job interview. I had been on so many interviews at that point, so I, was, I felt really well-oiled for this. But I went in there and gave it my all, you know, my very, very best. And the man that's interviewing me, he's just smiling ear to ear looking at me like, <laughs> and I couldn't tell if it was good or bad. And he looked at me and he said, you have no idea who I am, do you? And I was like, oh, dang it. The one thing I didn't look up, who is this man? He said, do you, do you remember a girl named Abby? He tells me her last name. And I said, yeah. He said, that's my daughter. And I was like, what? He said, Abby told me about you. I went to all the meetings that Abby was at, and I saw you on stage give 
presentations and, and lead others. And, and I said, but he said, but what sticks out to me most is Abby was struggling at that time to connect with people, and she told me how nice you were to her. And I thought, oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> of course, I got the job. Yay. Had no idea. The crazy thing is Bruce lived in Ruston and had a job in Shreveport, right? Because this job was in Shreveport. He commuted every day, every day for like 15 years. I had no idea. Come on, is that God? That's God. Let me fast forward through this because I'm running out of time. Um, in 2014, another great thing happened. Uh, Joel proposed to me, took it to the Lord. Lord, I'm supposed to marry him. But I haven't already been asking him that for, you know, five years, three years at that point. Am I supposed to marry him? Every time you get on my nerves. Am I supposed to marry him? I'm going to walk. Yeah, that's your husband. Yes, stay. You need to stay. Are you sure? Yes, yes. He's acting a fool. It's okay. I got this. Oh. But what happened when Joel and I got engaged was that we started going to premarital counseling. And we got connected to Greg and Angel. Greg and Angel had only been at CCM for maybe a year at that time, a very short amount of time. And, and the crazy thing was God was doing all kind of stuff on his time and in their story. And so the timing of that for them to come into our church and to be established as our, our pastors, come on, that's God. That's God. In 2015, um, Joel and I started thinking about purchasing a, well, what, where we were going to live after we were married. And because I grew up in generational poverty, living paycheck to paycheck, I'm like, we're just going to rent a house. That's how it's going to be. Joel said, oh, no, we are buying a house. And I was like, well, I can't buy a house. <laughs> I don't have good credit. I don't have enough money. He's like, we're buying a house. And so because I was connected to Greg, I went to, to Greg, and I told Greg about the financial mistakes I had made in my life and how I'm never, ever, ever going to buy anything because no one will ever trust me. And he looked at my debt, and he laughed because it was like, a, not even a mound of debt, but to me it was a lot because it was a lot of money to me back then was a lot of money. And so he, he helped me uh, get on a, a payment plan to pay off that debt. And in 2016, Joel and I closed on our home. And actually, I got to beat my name on that house before Joel did. And so I became a first-time homeowner, first-time homeowner in my family, and finally felt like I had a place that was mine, that I didn't have to move from, that I wasn't going to be kicked out of. And it was all because God connected me to the right people. In 2016, Joel and I get married. Um, we start talking about family. And Greg and Angel look at us and they say, let's talk about kids. Joel said, yes, I want kids. They look at me and they're like, kids. And I'm like, no, thanks. <laughs> and they look at each other in fear like, this is not going to work. And I'm like, it's okay, though. I'm, I, I know God. I know God, what God says about children. They're great. They're a blessing. I'm believing that God's going to change my heart. I have wisdom. He's going to change my heart, and one day it will be time, and I will be there. And they're like, that's a lot to ride on. That's a big risk. And I'm like, don't worry. I know me, and I know when God says so, I do it. Why? Because I, I meditated on Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings and our ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. I'm like, don't worry. God's going to tell me when. Today, the answer is no, but it'll be here. Don't worry. It'll be here. So after Joel and I get married, I tell him, you know, I feel like I've been praying about this, and I feel like in five years, we'll start our family. And he's like, five years? That's a long time away. I said, it'll fly by. Don't worry. He, year one comes around. Are you ready to have kids? I said, I said five. Year two comes around. Are you ready to have kids? I said five. I said, listen, it's not me. It's God. He, it's kind of me too, but it's God. It's me, but it's God. Because God said five. I said five. It's five. It's five. It's five years. <laughs> in the midst of all that, uh, a job opportunity opens up in Minden, Louisiana over the tourism office. And, uh, and I'm like, ooh, I want that job. I look at the job description, I look at who has these types of jobs, and I realize I'm underqualified and I'm probably not going to get it, but I decide to pursue it anyway. And 
I go into the interview uh, and I sit down and the person interviewing me is my friend Andy's dad. I'm like, this is happening again? Good thing I was nice to Andy. Good thing we're friends. He's sitting there smiling, smug, the same way Bruce was in that other interview. I go through the interview process and come to find out Ty, my current board chairman and boss, and Bruce have been best friends since the 70s. They met each other at Louisiana Tech, became best friends, stood in each other's weddings, have been a part of each other's families growing up their entire lives. And to this day, they, well, not today because Bruce moved away, but up until this year, they had breakfast together every Thursday morning. Didn't miss a Thursday. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm excited or nervous. And I look at him and I was like, please don't tell Bruce. Please don't tell Bruce. He laughs. He said, I'm not going to tell Bruce. I'll let you tell Bruce. And I said, I don't want to tell him unless I'm getting the job. He said, I understand. Well, unfortunately, the, the news was starting to go public that I was a final candidate for this job. And I said, I think I need to tell Bruce. He said, that's fine. I tell Bruce. He hangs his head low and he says, oh, I guess I better just get ready to send you off then. And I said, no, 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 I didn't get the job. He said, Serena, I know you. You're getting the job. I got the job, transitioned out of my job in Shreveport, took the job here in, um, in Minden, and took that moment to realize how God has been stringing along my life all these years. Before I was even born, he made sure that Bruce and Ty met each other at Louisiana Tech and became best friends and stayed best friends for decades. Why? Is it just for me? Probably not. But I'm definitely going to take a little bit of that fruit. Because now the guy that was in charge of hiring the next person for this very important job had a best friend to confide in to ask about how is she good at work? You know, what's what kind of, you know, what's she like? Is she a good fit for this job? And because they're both righteous men, Bruce could could through his teeth say, "Yes, she's amazing. I can't believe I'm about to lose her." <laughs> But God's timing doesn't end there. Had I not said yes to FCCLA, had I not said yes to Louisiana Tech, um, all of that would have changed the next season that I want to mention, and then I'm going to wrap up. But when five years came around, I said, uh, Joel, uh, the Lord said, it's, t- it's almost time. This is at the end of 2020, and I was like, I know, next year's five years. Oh, okay. But not today, right? Like, it's not five years yet. Not today. He said, no, not today, but it's coming. Okay. In April, March, April, the Lord said, it's time. And I was like, still don't feel 100% ready, but as ready as I'll ever be, and I promise that I would say yes to you anytime you ask me to do anything. And so here we go. Four weeks later, I said, Joel, I'm pregnant. He's like, no way. I was like, yep, it's happening. We're excited. We're thrilled. Can't wait to meet Isaac. We continue to live our lives, and then in September, the unimaginable happened, and I had an extreme case of COVID. And all of the thoughts of what could go wrong started to flood my mind. And I thought about, what if I lost him? What if I lost Isaac? Lord, you told me five years. I waited. You told me now. I said, okay. So there's no way you're going to take him. There's no way. There's no way he's coming home to you. There's no way I end like this. Because I've been faithful. I've been, I've been listening to you all this time. When the doctors were trying to find me a place to receive ECMO, which is the life support that I was on, there was nothing available within a 500-mile radius. And at the time, the doctors were like, if she doesn't get this, she's not going to make it. And the baby's not going to make it. Six to eight hours later, a bed opened up in Shreveport, Louisiana, 30 minutes from my front door, and suddenly I felt like God was a part of this plan. I got the treatment I needed. Even when we delivered Isaac, I felt peace knowing he was going to be okay, and my journey continued on. There were t- moments while I was in the hospital with, under isolation that I felt like I had been abandoned and left by God. 
and there, are, there was anger rising up out of me that I hadn't felt in decades. And I felt ashamed to be that angry with God. And, and after all of that was through, and at, even after people start telling me, you know, just testimonies and reminding me of God's miraculous power through the season I was in, I felt even more shame for even thinking for a second he would leave me. When I first came home, I didn't want to talk about what I'd been through. I didn't want to, I wanted to put it in the past and leave it there. I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want people to ask about what it was like because I didn't want to admit that I had several moments where I doubted God. It felt too shameful. And I started taking that to the Lord. Well, actually, he brought it to me. He's like, hey, hey, why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't, you, why aren't you going into this a little bit more? And I was like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. He's like, let's go there. And I'm like, I don't want to go there. And so I finally go there. And what God showed me was that the reason I didn't want to revisit it wasn't because of the trauma I experienced, but because of the shame that I felt in how I responded to God in those moments. And I didn't want to relive that shame. And he so graciously looked upon me and he said, you're human. So what you got mad? So what you got angry and threw a fit? You and I are here now talking, aren't we? You didn't abandon me. I didn't forsake you. If anything, this makes you more relatable because you had a moment where you doubted that I was going to come through. He said, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be this perfect Christian who never fails, who never falters, who never wavers. And it completely changed the outlook that I had on that season. Before I was discharged from the hospital, one of my nurses was giving me uh, just conversation. I was healthy enough to be alert and aware. I wasn't heavily medicated anymore, so I was really thankful that she was there to talk to me because she liked to talk. (laughs) And she was going on and on about, you know, her time in the hospital, things that she's seen, things she's experienced. And she begins to tell me, she said, I was there the day that they picked you to come here. And I said, you were? And she said, yeah. Do you know that there were like two other people on the list that they were considering giving the ECMO machine to? And I said, yeah, I had heard that. She said, do you know why they picked you? And I said, no. She said, well, we looked at each file for the three people. You were all young. You were all pretty healthy. She said, but the reason they picked you was because you were pregnant. The nurses and doctors thought we have a chance to save two lives instead of one, so let's give her the bed. And in that moment, I just got so emotional because not only was I grateful that my son was alive, but my son saved my life. God's timing matters. God's time. The only reason I got that machine was because I was pregnant. The only reason I was pregnant is because God said it was time. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. I could have been just another healthy young person like the rest of the people on that list. And I could have been overlooked in a second. But because I said yes to God's timing in my life, my son saved my life. People who need ECMO have a short window to receive the care they need in order to live. People who need ECMO, if they don't get it, they die. That's how close I was to not receiving the care I needed. In 2001, I mean 2021, that's my encounter with ECMO. That's my encounter with God's timing when it came to Isaac. And while we were there, we realized that God had tied together other stories that led to mine. A guy by the name of Ben was on ECMO in July. He was getting off of ECMO in October when I needed it. 
His health plan went back and forth with needing the, the, the procedure, with needing ECMO. We, okay, okay, you're going to get off of it today. Nope, you got to stay on it another day. Okay, you'll get off of it next week. Nope, you got to stay on it a little bit longer. Why? Because God was holding my place in line. Had he gotten off of his machine a month earlier like they had hoped, I wouldn't have been at a place, I, wasn't, I wouldn't have been ready or needing ECMO at that time, and that machine would have went to someone else. But God was doing a work in Ben's life too. On top of that, the, the, the facility had recently received an additional ECMO machine that gave them five instead of four. The reason they have five is because in 2017, a man by the name of Juan was shot outside of his restaurant in Shreveport. And the, the, the gunshot wound ruined his lung and he needed ECMO. The entire community surrounded his family and started a GoFundMe page that raised a lot of money. After all his medical bills were paid, he had a lot left over, and he donated that money back to the hospital. Why? So that they could purchase a fifth ECMO machine. God will take tragedy, and he will make sure that it is used to glorify him in a number of ways. I don't wish any of that would happen to anybody, but I am so grateful for a God who is gracious enough to use what the enemy would, would try to use for torture, for tragedy, for death, and he would use it to bring life into this world the way he brought Isaac into this world. So, I want you to walk away from today with the understanding that God's timing is more important than we think. Acknowledging him, come on, not just a head tilt, a finger raise, not just a wave, but actually taking our decision-making to him and asking him to weigh it for us and tell us which path to choose. It matters more than you think. And I know sometimes we feel unequipped to make the decisions in our lives. Sometimes we don't know exactly which step to take. Where, you know, we're looking at really big situations, and, and sometimes we don't know what to choose, but God does. God does. And the enemy wants you to think you're alone and isolated in that and that you don't have power or knowledge or wisdom. But Jesus died on the cross so you could have all of that and more. And so this simple verse, these simple verses that you've probably heard before, right? These are, these are the, 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 this is a common scripture that we all hear, like John 3.16 and Jeremiah 29.11. And, and, you know, we could go on and on about the ones that we've known and we've heard over and over and over again. But I hope you walk away with a better way to apply this to your life because it matters in the case of life and death it actually matters in the case of your children prospering it matters in the case of your marriage prospering it matters in the case of your financial gain and and financial security it matters ask god everything ask him once, ask him a thousand times. He will always give you the exact answer that you need. And that's what I want to leave with you today. So if there's anyone in here this morning who says, I don't know God the way, if you would stand on your feet. If there's anyone in here today that says, I don't know God the way